Hello, everyone, and welcome to Disrupt TV. My name is Bala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce, and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send us your questions, um, Ray, myself, and our distinguished guest using hashtag Disrupt TV. Uh, this is our last episode of 2017. We've interviewed over 200 guests on, to be exact, 201 unique guests on Disrupt TV. So check out our podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and our Vimeo videos. Uh, today is, uh, will be our last show and um, we are disrupting ourselves with a new platform. We are now uh, doing our show on Zoom platform and you'll notice the format difference. And uh, we'll, we'll love to get feedback from you in terms of the new platform as well. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO, founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, regular contributor to ZDNet, Forbes, and uh, Huffington Post. And he is one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter, in my humble opinion, at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with Vala Afshar, as you guys know, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce, more importantly, one of the top CIO, CMO influencers in the world, an author himself, and more importantly, a great follower for awesome stats on Twitter, an awesome facts, uh, and of course, philosophy and leadership. So we've got the end of year recap show here, Vala, and we've got everybody on live. And for those following, you can see us in Hollywood Squares format. Uh, who do we have today, Vala? So I'm gonna introduce all our guests at the same time so we can just jump into our recap show. Uh, we have Heather Clancy, uh, Editorial Director for Green Biz, which advances the opportunity at the intersection of business, technology, and sustainability. Heather's an award-winning business journalist specializing in coverage of transformative technologies and translating tech speak into business benefits. You can follow Heather uh, on Twitter at Green Tech Lady, G-R-E-E-N, T-E-C-H-L-A-D-Y. Hello, Heather. Hello. <laughs> we also have John Reed. John's the co-founder of Diginomica, which examines the digital enterprise from the vantage point of real use cases. He's a roving blogger and analyst. John quickly writes and video cast on Enterprise Friends. And that's what we're gonna be talking to John uh, with today. You can follow John on Twitter at J-O-N-E-R-P. Welcome, John to disrupt <laughs> Yes, nice. we all need a whiteboard like John. That's awesome. I'm gonna get just, that for sure. Just, just follow everyone on, just follow everyone on here, okay? There we go. I, I could use more followers, please. I'm please. sure, I'm sure your signal to noise ratio will improve with these people. <laughs> <There we go. laughs> and, and, uh, and, our, and, our, and our last guest is Larry Dignan, editor-in-chief of ZDNet and Smart Planet, as well as editorial director of ZDNet sister site Tech Republic. Larry has covered technology and financial services industry since 1995, and he's published articles on numerous media outlets. You can follow Larry on Twitter as well at L-D-I-G-N-A-N. Welcome, Larry, to Disrupt TV. Hey, how's it going, guys? We're doing great. So let's just really old now. For three you hours. me so much. I just feel like you I can tell where Larry and I are. We're like wearing the the warm things. Like it's cold. Finally, <laughs> yeah, dude, it's freezing outside. Freezing. freezing. It's, <laughs> <shorts. laughs> it's like six degrees in Boston, or at least it feels that way. It's, it's incredibly yeah, cold. It's damn cold. My run sucked. But well, <laughs> hey, everybody, this is this is this is the end of your recap issue, and I kind of want to see had had each one of you up on what you think the top theme, the top story of was for the year. So let's start with just top technology trends uh, that kind of hit. And I'm going to start with you, Larry. Like what, what first point of mind, what was the top technology trend for you this year? Has to be artificial intelligence and put in parentheses washing, you know, because things like <laughs> business intelligence was labeled AI. Things like, well, freaking math was <laughs> labeled AI. Um, <laughs> Everything became AI, and it's a lot of it's just total BS. Um, so it was it was a year for AI, machine learning, and all this stuff. Um, and I think it, you know, for me, the biggest trend was it's getting baked into everything. Um, but as IT buyer, it's a lot harder to figure out who's actually just. It's kind of like when the cloud came along. Suddenly, servers were cloud. Everything became cloud. Um, AI is very similar, and they all have these, you know, wonderful names. 
Einstein, Watson, Alexa, uh, who else? Siri, but she's kind of the dumb brick in the corner. You got Google Assistant, who's just can't even get a name. Uh, Cortana, dude, she, she's just totally out of it at this point. Um, so you got all these names and you got these technologies and it's just a lot to follow. You have uh, to make them human. You have to give them a name. You do. And, and honestly, Alexa's probably the one that dominated everything. Um, like from, from CES in January, right on through, man. They just carpet bombed the country with Echo and Alexa devices and ran with it. Um, I'm not even sure it's AI, though, really. It's kind of like this digital assistant, dumb command code voice interface thing. So I guess it's AI, but it's, it's not the, you know, it's kind of not what you think in terms of cognitive self-thinking sort of machine. The um, year of AI washing, where well, everything was and everything wasn't. And we're just getting warmed up. Wait till 2018. Then right. That was, that was my I want to. I was wondering if you had this show a year from now, recapping 2018. I suspect we'll still be talking about AI. Wow. All right, Heather. What was on your list? So for me, um, it is blockchain, um, and was specifically blockchain for things that are not financial services related. And you know, I've, I've talked with you both several times about the applications that are being piloted and explored in the energy space. So the idea that you could trade your solar generation to your neighbor if they, they want to take advantage of that, or um, that you could use blockchain for supply chain applications. So for me, um, blockchain, the, in the supply chain sense, the traceability, um, being able to verify where something came from, where it touched, you know, as the person who kind of watches uh, sustainability and um, and so forth, that that for me was a big thing. And I, so I would say it's not washing. Uh, maybe we're pre-washing. <laughs> we're in the pre-washing phase. Um, but for me, it became it was a year really of where the the sustainability community was exploring the practical applications of blockchain outside of the Bitcoin world. Wow, blockchain provenance. Um, yeah, I, think, I think the hardest part with blockchain is really separating the Bitcoin bubble yeah. with the actual practical real applications. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it's all getting washed up. You hear grandmoms ask about Bitcoin now. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's totally insane. Mm -hmm. um, the hard part is keeping blockchain what it's actually going to really do right. versus the currency stuff because they're yeah. two different animals. Well, and, and I, I would add to that the other hard part is sorting out uh, what's actually happening versus hypothetical pilots. Uh, I, I got into a game with my PR people in my inbox where they would tell me something great about blockchain and I would ask to talk to a live customer and it was always silence on the other end. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that I'm denying the potential that Heather's describing. It's just, I feel like we're not quite there yet. Absolutely. So, um, there's pilots, though, that I'm watching specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are pilots for yeah. sure. But yeah. but as far as like heavy scale production, we're not. We're not no, absolutely yet. not. Mm -hmm. John, big trend for you this year. You've already uh, covered the two that you'd like to. All right. Well, leather, Larry, Larry and Heather took mine, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> no, uh, You'll get first question next time. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's totally fine. Well, I, I guess I would just throw out, throw out two quick ones. One is that I think technology cuts both ways right now. So on the one hand, there's huge opportunities to transform business with the technology that's available, but it's also coming for you from behind. So you look at a lot of professions, like I was just at a, a cloud financial show, accountants are struggling with this because a lot of what they used to do is being automated on the one hand, and then there's new opportunities on the other, but they're not, so you kind of have to make a choice to go forward because it's coming for you either way. Um, and then the other thing I think is multi-cloud. It's just this notion, I hate that term, so I'm sorry to use it. Apologize to everyone who's watching. But, um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's this notion that, that customers have an unprecedented amount of choice in terms of how they configure their IT environments. So moving a little bit away from vendor lock-in, but the downside being that it, with that freedom comes a new level of complexity as well, and how do you handle that? Got it. Yeah, no, and we're definitely seeing a lot of lock-in with cloud. Um, it is the ultimate lock-in, uh, the way to look at it. So depending how you choose that, there's something that we're writing about in that area. 
So, so we hit blockchain, we hit AI, <laughs> right? We now hit cloud. Um, let's talk about policy implications or implications that actually happened um, this year. Things that things were like big trends that people didn't expect, and no politics. So, so let's let's. <laughs> but and just to just to follow up on Ray's question, as you think about policies, and was 2017 a good year for technology companies? I mean, there was definitely better understanding of how technology can impact politics. There was uh, visibility in terms of equality and diversity and even uh, safe work environment. And there was a lot of visibility into how tech companies need to behave better on that front. Uh, so overall, it's, it was, a, I mean, from, from stock market and value, it seems like it was 2017 was a great year for tech companies, but with the vulnerabilities and security threats and all the other political so so societal discussions that were centered around tech companies, how would you how would you shape how would you how would you rate 2007 in terms of whether it was a good or a bad year for tech? Companies? Yeah, let's actually you know that's a great point, Bob. Let's 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 take cybersecurity. Cybersecurity was this year, and let's go on a scale of one to ten. Where do you rate cybersecurity this year for? Uh, in terms of uh, or ten is good. Or ten is good, and one is bad. Good in terms of what? You have a minus scale. Stories? Uh, not, no, not in SEO. Um, SEO is good. No, um, no, good in terms of <laughs> in security. In security, bad news is good. It's it's like murderers for a crime. Reporter. It's all good, right? So it's been a great year. Well, for writing news about it, yeah, it's been awesome. I rated it bad. You it's been data a bad year for companies, right? Data, so. data breaches just got worse. It was awesome. <laughs> we, Definitely an eye-opening year for sure. <laughs> we we ran across things we couldn't even write about. Yeah. Oh wow. So that bad. bad. Okay. Right. Like it was just just bad shit crazy across the board. Larry, I think um, I, I think the question was real world, Larry, not like whether it gets great page views for us. Um, <laughs> Well, that's you guys all had a great year. Yeah, I mean, but I would say between sexual harassment and tech and, and <laughs> net neutrality and, and screwing up the future of humanity with manipulating elections, it's been a horrible year for tech, um, but a great year for our business. Um, <laughs> great yeah. financials for tech. It's been, a, great too. It's, been a, it's been a great year for page views. You know, I just uh, someone I don't know I don't know who just said this a moment ago, but someone said awareness, and I, I I would I would say that one of the things the big things for this the tech industry in the last year is awareness, like awareness mm -hmm. of the mainstream public and what the hell these technologies do, what they could mean, they have like, a and how could how they could screw up our lives. I think that ever since the election, and I'm not going to get political, but ever since that time, people I think the mainstream started to understand the implications that some of the, and now we're all like in it, right? Sometimes it's really hard to be objective about the excitement. We get, you know, you get, I get excited about the potential. I get bummed out about like the, the bad stuff that we're, we're talking about. But I feel like this was a year when the, the general public started understanding some of the implications of this stuff in their lives. That's a great, that's a great comment. And, and I'm actually going to start by, I mean, the, the digital divide that we've been talking about for quite some time is, mm -hmm. has happened, right? They understood the implications of where social media could yeah. impact messaging or impact outcomes of an election. Uh, we understood the impact of how privacy could go wrong in terms of our normal daily life. Um, we looked at and, and, and felt uh, what could happen from the implications of, you know, just uh, just harmless advertising in terms of uh, consumption, right? Or mm -hmm. how much information you provided and, and what that resulted in terms of the types of advertising you get. And, and all across the board, tech became part of our lifestyle and, and it became part of, of like overall social fabric uh, in, in a way that people have probably never realized before, even though it was around us. And so that's definitely a great, great observation. Um, I, I think what I was trying to get at was really when, when we think about policies that are happening to us, right? The big stories, I think when we talk about like, for example, cybersecurity or security in, in our area, did you feel that, you know, that this was like something that was a watershed moment, right? Where people actually I, finally got security this year. I don't feel, I don't feel like there's been a whole lot of policy anything. No, I don't think, I don't, I agree. I mean, yeah, we did net neutrality, but honestly, it, it, even Nothing that happened, right? Well, <laughs> Almost. Someone actually is asking us to comment on that, I think, right? I saw a little note come in just now. No, no, net neutrality. Let's talk about net neutrality. What happened with net neutrality? <laughs> For me, 
I well, I wrote about this yesterday, sort of yep. tongue in cheek, but really not. Um, I, we're just caught in between a pissing match between two huge elephants, right? I mean, you've got the ISPs, and yeah, they're they're the bad guys, right? The reality is, you could roll up their entire market cap, and Google just buy them, right? <laughs> I mean, really. So it's, it's sort of like the good guys in this equation are massive. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, economically, I'm looking at this and I'm like, yeah, maybe Google and Amazon and Facebook did get a free ride because they're a hell of a lot bigger than the ISPs. We're all painting as the evil empire now. And I just kind of look at it and I go, A, I don't think a lot's going to happen because, you know, let Comcast cut off Netflix. Yeah, okay, everybody's going to walk. Um, <laughs> so I don't, I don't think that leverage, the whole leverage argument and net neutrality kind of went away, not completely. But it's been watered down dramatically. That that market power that you know the the telecom providers and all those used to have, it's just not there anymore. I mean, they can tinker around and do dumb stuff, sure. But at the end of the day, I mean, if if we're talking about net neutrality helping the small fry, the startup, that startup is going to get squashed by Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, or whoever anyway. So we're like, you know, I mean, yeah, I guess. I guess Verizon and Comcast could rub some salt in the wounds by throttling their networks or something, but they're roadkill anyway. So <laughs> I look at something like net neutrality and I'm just like, yeah, this is just a big ass power struggle between some big ass lobbying dynamos and with a ton of money behind them. So that's a really feel good view, Larry. It is, but I don't think it's that far off. You know, you know, and then you look at the social outrage and you know, everybody's got to be outraged about it. And, I don't know if I can get outraged either way because I kind of know you're just kind of this thing in the middle. I don't know. John, well, is it the John is the end of is this the end of regulation or the beginning of regulation? Uh, I think it's another chapter in poorly informed regulation by people that don't understand technology, and that's the big problem I have with policy. And I can make this blanket political statement because it, it it skews everyone. The both Democrats and Republicans have no understanding of the digital implications of the technology that's that we're all dealing with in our daily lives. And I'm really worried about any attempt to regulate or legislate around it because they don't they don't know what they're doing. And that's a reliance on lobbyists, right? right? Exactly. Right. And and I think to me, where if if you want to have a more interesting conversation around making things better, it has to do with industry standards. And and that gets back to Heather's point around blockchain because for example, what blockchain needs more than anything is is an industry consortium where everyone agrees on mm -hmm. standards that everyone is going to adopt. And there's been some progress made in that area this last year. And it, to me, that's where the hopeful part is, is where tech companies can develop their own standards. But of course, they have to kind of agree to cooperate. And that's sometimes a problem. But Sure. What about, an, uh, and this is forward looking, but uh, the General Data Protection Regulation, GDRP, what are your thoughts about that policy in terms of data privacy, which I believe can be enforced now as, as of May of next year. What are your thoughts on GDR, GDRP as a, in terms of impact to businesses? Will we see one or two companies get big fines just so that people become really aware of the importance and the magnitude of GDRP in 2018? Oh, I, I'd say definitely. I mean, it's the EU. That's what they're good at, yeah. big fines. <laughs> um, and they're also, you know, the, when it comes to data protection and privacy and knowing where stuff should be and all that, I mean, the EU leads the world in this stuff. Yeah. I mean, U.S. is totally wild west. So the good news is EU has their, you know, they have their regulation going on and every multinational, which is basically everybody, mm -hmm. is going to have to go along with it. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, I kind of view that as positive in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, I don't think it's going to kill an enterprise to know where their data is in transit and know where it is at all times. Right. I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea. And I think the EU is going to feel pretty uppity in the next couple of years. I think they're, they're going to um, exercise any influence that they can right now, considering the things that are, and like, just considering what's going on over here. If they have an opportunity to show leadership, they're going to go for it, you know? So I, I, think, I do think that there will be some action. I agree with that. I, and I think the GDPR has real teeth. So it is going to force companies mm -hmm. to, to make some changes. What, what I would argue is that instead of viewing that as, as, as a negative or a drag on innovation, that companies should instead embrace this. Because I think 
the right way to handle privacy is via an opt-in scenario. And what we have seen just through the success of Facebook is that plenty of people are willing to give over pretty much uh, any information about their lives uh, that's confidential at all to massive corporations. So it's not that hard to get people to opt in, um, but more transparency about what people are opting into is really, really important because I think a lot of times when we click you know, accept on these terms and conditions, we don't really understand the implications. And I think GDPR, one of the real points there is to much, is to much, be much more effective at helping people understand what they're opting into. My only concern about GDPR is, is the fact that it's so ill-defined that I think they're just, they're basically wrote a regulation to hunt for a case. And, and, I, and I hope it gets a little bit more defined so people understand what, what they violated. Opt-in definitely is, is, is the, the premise around it, but it doesn't seem to have any real like rules or guardrails as to what the heck was violated. So I, I think it's going to be- kind of most regulation though. <laughs> it's I mean, true. You go back to Sarbanes-Oxley, you go back to anything. There, there's like these so the, major the, gaps where you're like- uh, The lawyers are having a field day trying to figure out which case to go after. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's a, you feel like a target. <laughs> so, but yeah. Well, hey, so, so we talked about this. We talked about policy implications. Um, I, I also want to know um, in terms of like big innovations, right? What innovations that you saw on the enterprise front or on the organizational front or the nonprofit um, that really transformed whether it was either a campaign or a program or, or something uh, or an impact uh, that occurred to the market? I would say there's been some interesting omni-channel sort of stuff going on with retail. Mm. I mean, you look at Walmart, they kind of bought their way into this, you know, to this e-commerce. Yeah. They just kind of, I guess it was, it was like a snowball effect for them to, to the point where the market's actually valuing them on e-commerce, which still won't be material for God knows how many years. Um, but it's it's interesting. So the retail space, you got Home Depot. I mean, they just had their analyst meeting last week, and and they're, I mean, they're really ramping their investment on their data, their supply chain. Um, you see a lot of things like that. I mean, you could point out Best Buy, which you know don't look now. Best Buy was supposed to be roadkill, but <laughs> they're doing pretty well. Um, and they got their, you know, their marketing, they pulled back on the old advertising. And, and there's just a lot of moving parts there where, you know, yeah, there's a bunch of retailers dying, but I think a lot of those retailers are dying because they were, they were in leverage buyouts and saddled with too much debt and they would have been screwed anyway. Um, so yeah, there are pockets, there are pockets in retail that look pretty interesting. It's, it's not all just Amazon, right? Um, and, and you see that with the consumer, product goods companies and, you know, all down the food chain. So, but I wouldn't say any of them were like, you know, these, you know, innovations from the heavens. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just good innovation meets blocking and tackling meets survival. All right. Where, where would you put the uh, Tesla truck on this? Oh, I think the Tesla truck is vaporware. They just got a thousand truck order, didn't they, from one one vendor? I don't know. <laughs> oh, Brother, where do you put the Tesla truck on this? I'm is, not. I'm not convinced the battery technology is even there to do what they're saying it can do. Mm. Um, is, it, is it too late for me to take my name off the order list? On <laughs> <laughs> a truck, cool. I, I wish we. kicking ass then. I, I know. I wish we'd had this talk before that, Larry. You're more of a roadster guy. I know you. I but, know you. Do you know what though? I, I want to just. I mean, I agree, Larry, because that that. I mean, it, it actually kind of reminds me of the old days when Microsoft used to like announce things just to kind of like freak out everyone else and and like make everyone stop buying things and and so they could figure out the market and then get get there. But the um, the thing about the Tesla truck that, that intrigues me and it sort of like it, it describes a super trend for me is, is the energy storage aspect of it, the battery technology. And so like when I think about innovation, um, like and I'm just kind of going back to the, the original question that Ray asked, I'm watching the utility companies and like for years we've been talking about the smart grid and the investments that they need to make and the digital systems and so forth. And it's been like, forever and forever and there's not they're not investing and so forth this actually might make them invest the, the storage implications the storage technologies forces them to put the systems in place to to make money off the storage technology so i feel like if when i look at innovation like in my space that 
to me points to some some good activity in 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 the year ahead and in a couple years ahead. You know, like finally maybe they'll spend the money. I don't. Know, maybe I'm being naive, but I feel like the Tesla truck, yeah. Mm. But the the battery implications there are what intrigue me. Mm. Yeah, and I I do think utilities on the Internet of Things front. You know, I mean, God, C3 IoT has a ton of case studies on this stuff. That's actually right. production. Um, I think they're investing where they can optimize and make money. But yeah, it's not investing to like necessarily wow the customer. Um, but, they, they're, you know, they're investing in, you know, things that generate returns. Um, I, I just I just think the, the Tesla truck thing is interesting. But, you know, the cynic in me just says this was just a thing to talk about to Make everybody Talk about the fact I can't get Model 3s out the make, door? Well, yeah, they can't get Model 3 out the door, right? So here's a shiny object. It's big here. And no one asked about the Tesla. It was, it was pretty big, actually. That launch was yeah. interesting. <laughs> so, All right. Let's hit well, well, on, on some other topics. Is, is Apple dead? Innovative? No longer innovative? What's the story on Apple? We got a brand new iMac, I, I guess, Pro. I mean, I, I don't know. It's the most dead company with 287 billion dollars in cash. <laughs> I mean, the question is sort of laughable. Um, the, yeah, the money this thing makes. <laughs> and, you know, the, the other crazy thing is it's, it's all about, it's becoming all about services. Hmm. I mean, that's kind of what it is, right? If you look at, I mean, CNET wrote about um, their gym kit where they're hooking up the Apple watch and, you know, to like treadmills and all this kind of stuff. And it's kind of interesting, but you know, I instantly went to the next phase. I'm like, well, why don't they just buy Peloton? And then you just have Apple gym. It's just a service, 10 bucks a month. It's your gym on video or whatever your gym on an iPad. Um, you could do your classes, all that crap. Right. I mean, they could gobble up half the industry. Um, I, can't, I can't believe you just said they were dead after they just bought Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, that, that's what I mean. It's sort of like, this is, well, this is transformative stuff, Larry. <laughs> Siri needed a brain, dude. And Siri got one. Wasn't the, wait, Ray, though, you were asking about innovation, though, from Apple, right? Yeah. Like, they just bought innovative. something, they just bought something, they just bought something. Like, what are they doing that's new? I'd love to hear your perspective, the two of you. So I don't follow them as closely. Well, they're patching a lot of security leaks lately. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that counts. Is that innovative? <laughs> I mean, I, they took all I, those I, Samsung components and made the iPhone 10. <laughs> right. Our, our what, are you looking, what are you looking forward to at uh, CES? And, and I know they don't participate at CES, but and last year, Echo, I think, was the dominant news uh well just talk, yeah, talk. I'm, I'm looking about that though is alexa and echo took over ces in january but they weren't even there right 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 it was just alexa being embedded in all these Every other products yeah a lot of products yeah i'm actually looking forward to missing ces again i'm on <laughs> i am with you man but but the one the one thing i will say that i think is kind of interesting uh that i don't know if it'll get a lot of play at ces but i am interested in alexa at work and I think that Alexa has a much more interesting opportunity in corporate environments than maybe Facebook with its workplace. But the, the one thing that is sort of interesting is you think about as our homes become more and more like connected, shall we say, does it make the office seem like a really stale and impotent environment by comparison? And then what technologies come in and sort of fill the gap, right? Um, it's kind of interesting. Um, unfortunately, Alexa doesn't have the intelligence to actually organize a meeting, but, but I could certainly see, for example, sitting down in a conference room and saying, connect everybody and everyone is now connected and we don't have to spend a half an hour syncing up and stuff. So it'll be interesting to see if some of the CES technologies carry over into the workplace. No, you were, uh, I mean, I'm still saying Alexa by 10 copies of Disrupting Digital Business. Alexa, <laughs> check out. Uh, Alexa, pay for it now and ship the next day. Um, anyway. <laughs> John just wrote a piece. Uh, it's it's uh, it, his unpredictions for 2018. He said some clever vendor will attempt to have Alexa deliver an entire TED Talk as a keynote. It works great until it asks Siri to advance a slide. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why do, do why do you go through some of those uh, predictions uh, on the, that you put out there? 
So. Well, yeah, we just did our own predictions piece because uh, we felt the need to bring a little satirical uh, sensibility to this industry around that. But uh, uh, we said that um, giving up on the holy grail of intelligent apps for the intelligent enterprise, the vendor will finally issue its line of semi-intelligent apps for the semi-intelligent enterprise. So sometimes you have to lower the bar a little bit. Oh, and then we had um, this one was, a, oh, we had a good blockchain one. The enterprise PR industry will go into an uproar when they are all put on an open source blockchain where each PR claim about new tech is subject to blockchain's trustless verification. So <laughs> maybe uh, maybe blockchain can be used in our industry in a certain way. Uh, so it might be a little tough for certain PR peeps to survive such an ordeal. You also said that the enterprise software meme for 2018 will be, we've got an algorithm for that. So well, that's true, right? That's actually probably going to come true. I mean, yeah. that, I'm, that, I can expect that. To, that's actually not a very bold prediction on our part, I'm afraid. Well, hey, one of the other top topics that we kept hearing about this year was AI ethics, right? And, mm -hmm. and the lack of AI ethics or the lack of being able to define AI ethics. Mm -hmm. um, what do you guys see? What, what's your view on that? Will we get closer to standards of, you know, at least, uh, I guess, in terms of like, you know, work rules uh, and standards of engagement, maybe um, some kind of like some kind of like guidelines as to what's expected. Like we, we opt in, unlike, you know, when we're on sitting there on, on LinkedIn or Skype where they keeps keeps asking you for like, you know, suggestions. Is that, is that what you wanted to say? And you hit the button and it's basically learning from you all day. So I, I have no confidence. Well, okay, let's just fast forward. Terminator's documentary, that's where we're going. <laughs> how fast we get there. Um, I have no confidence that there's going to be standards and ethics. I, come on. I mean, it's crazy. Like, there's going to be some nation state that's going to use AI for a lot of, well, big can of whoop ass. We all know it's coming. How it might be us. I don't know. Um, I'm far more concerned, not necessarily with the ethics, but you know, as, as it gets adopted and, you know, enterprises increase, increasingly buy black box sort of things, you know, we're going to have managers making bets on AI and algorithms that frankly, they're not going to understand. So how does that, how does that work out, right? Like who's kicking the tires on these, these assumptions and the algorithms and the logic embedded in them? Um, because I think that's, you know, if you want to get to ethics and doing right versus wrong and all that stuff, we can't rely on the coder or programmer or the, you know, mathematician or data scientist to come up with that. We have to be able to check that stuff ourselves. So like governments, we need check and balance in AI systems. Yeah. I mean, I just don't know how that transparency is really going to happen because, yeah. you know, let's face it, it's, it's above every executive's pay grade. Right. It's also, I mean, and I'm just going to, I'm going to go here for a minute because, hey, I'm the only woman on this call, <laughs> but it, it's also uh, a gender and um, socioeconomic issue because the, the people making those rules don't reflect the entire universe of, of the enterprise workforce. I mean, it's who's writing those rules? Is it mm. guys? Is it 25 year old guys, is it 30? I mean, it, and we have to think about who's in the room helping define those rules and ethics um, and getting, making sure that everyone's viewpoint is, or, and, and we don't, we don't have, we're not nearly even like close to that yet. So I agree with Larry that there's just absolutely, that's a ways away. And that's probably one of the, the, the reasons that AI will be a lot slower to emerge in a, in a real way than, than we want, maybe, or, or maybe than we fear, or I hope, I don't know, I don't know where you stand on it, but. Yeah, I, I worry a lot about algorithmic casualties, right? Like, because there's real people who get on the losing end of how these things are constructed. I think the only progress that we may have made in the last year is I think more people are aware that there's no such thing as a neutral algorithm anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and and the, the problem becomes, what do you do about that? And, and that's kind of what you guys have touched on. As far as, as, far as nation states op opening up a can of whoop ass, I don't want to point the finger at the US too much, but the documentary, documentary Zero Days, if you haven't seen that, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of shocking to see what's already happened along those lines and how sophisticated some of these sort of, uh, whether you want to call it AI or uh, 
you know, swarm bots or however you want to put it, these things are actually gotten very sophisticated already. And it's something that I would encourage people to think about. John, uh, starting with you, what's the most important or impactful article that you wrote this year and why? And I like, I like that one. <laughs> Including you, Ray, you write. Can I get these I, questions? I like, I like Ray's. Can we get these questions ahead of time? I know, I was going to ask. I'm like, God. I'll start, I'll start. I'll, I'll buy, I'll buy, I don't remember what uh, I wrote yesterday. I'll, I'll buy you. <laughs> I, like, yeah. I think for us, like, one, one of the things I'm in the middle of writing is, is really our update to our futurist framework. And, and we're looking at the political, economic, societal, environmental, technology, legislative mm -hmm. pieces. And, and it's called our PESTLE framework. It's, it's, a, it's a format to take a, a, you know, a holistic view in terms of what's happening across the world. Um, and, and the AI piece actually is, is the piece that I was very interested in writing because I realized that in order to build good AI, it's like the same reason you build good governments. It's got to be explainable. It's got to have check and balances. The transparency has to be in place. And, and, and the question that really struck that was, it was a question that has been going on in the Valley for the last um, three to four weeks is, are we, have we already been programmed? Right. And, and, and I think that question was a very, very interesting question because it was, it was asking us, um, do we know why we're making the decisions we're making based on the information that's readily available to us at the most convenient time? Maybe we are already being programmed. And if we don't know that, right, isn't that an issue? And, and so this notion of how AI is being created and how it represents uh, society was one of it. And, and for me, the, the article that I thought was probably most interesting to me was really about this question around AI ethics, which is why I asked it earlier, because I wanted people to think about as we are looking at the implications of the technologies on society, back to our earlier point about all these things that people suddenly really like technology plays a huge role in our lives. Um, do we really fully understand those implications when we do that? Do we have the policy making to be able to help people understand how to get the right policies in place? And whether it's inclusion, whether it's a fair playing field, whether it's equal opportunity, where it's the opportunity to actually compete, I mean, are we losing our free will? And, and that was really, for me, um, something that helped me put together all the implications of what we're doing. So. But you're, and then you wrote a Harvard Business Review post on the future experience of a patient or, or, or anybody visiting a hospital. And then you had half a dozen use cases from walking into knowing you know, things about the patient's allergies so you know what you can pick up at the gift shop and so on and so forth. I found that piece to be very clear, concise use cases in terms of leveraging data and insights to improve the overall experience in healthcare. That was a good post. For good, right? But I'm, I'm good, just as worried about yes, all the good. Yes. On the back end, like Larry is. Like, Larry's yeah. like, we were, the documentary Terminator was a good one, so is The Matrix. And I'm like, shit, <laughs> like, what happened? So um, I am worried about that. So, so John, your most, uh, or your favorite post. It doesn't have to be impactful, but I'm sure it was. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I was going to say my favorite was my ludicrous press release awards for AI. Um, but that probably wasn't that impactful, really, in the big... I mean, I, I like to write in-depth use cases about customers and what they're doing. And, and I don't think there's one that really speaks to every situation as a sure. problem. But, but one thing that I did just write about was, uh, was a, a piece on accounting profession and how it's confronting workplace diversity. And I think the thing that I found interesting about that post is that a lot of times when we talk about diversity, I think we still have sort of a, uh, it has more of an obligatory tone and more of a punitive tone and people feel defensive and, and we get bummed out about how little progress we've actually made. And what was interesting is starting to think about diversity as a framework, not as a problem, but more as a solution. In other words, that, that diverse viewpoints create better businesses and better software if they're incorporated properly. And, and the diversity is not just about how we look or our gender or orientation, though that's important, but, but, but anything we bring to the table that, that is new and different make, makes us better employees. And there's more data now coming out that when you can have a more open workplace, it's a more productive workplace. So in other words, if I'm holding secrets of my identity in, in, in check because I'm worried about abuse or mistreatment or lack of advancement, I'm less productive. Yeah. And so there's actually some movement happening now around that where it starts to become a business case and not just the same old discussion that I think we can get a little tired of sometimes. So that, that I just put out last week. So that's kind of on my mind at the moment. Terrific. I, I'm going to jump in and say that, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit of a different animal because I do write about um, policies that aren't necessarily tech, but I'll pick one of my tech stories because that's why we're here. Um, and I, 
one of the things that I'm watching very closely, and a couple of my recent stories ha have pointed to this, is um, the extent to which uh, cities are going to get ahead of um, defining the policies around autonomous vehicles. So I think there's a lot of really good work going on um, getting ahead of the curve in getting the, figuring out what these use cases are gonna look like, um, getting the policies hammered out kind of like with all of the constituents before the things actually get on the road in a, in a major way. Um, and so for me, the, 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 the stories that I'm starting to pick up around that uh, are, are the, one of the most, most important ones to me. Also, I think um, the, much of the talk around autonomous vehicle services and adoption and so forth has been very focused on um, passenger vehicles and passengers and so forth, and for, right, for, for the right reasons. Sure. However, I think you're gonna hear a lot more about um, uh, deliveries and corporate uh, and the business implications uh, around this. I mean, if, you, if, if a city adopts a law that prevents uh, certain vehicles becoming in, into its environment during certain times of days, boom, like what happens to all the deliveries in that city? And <laughs> how do people, how businesses get their things that they need and so forth? For me, um, and thankfully, there's there's some really good, San Jose is one of them. I mean, there's some cities, Boston as well, Vala, um, are getting ahead of uh, what they need to um, and, and, and engaging with the people designing these technologies in order to try to try to have a voice now. Heather, can, I ask, can I ask you a question about that, Heather? Because um, mm -hmm. one thing that really interests me is this notion that, that, that not, it's not just autonomous vehicles, right? It's, it's creating platforms where in theory, less cars would be needed and certainly mm -hmm. less parking mm -hmm. would be needed, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. it's more about availability than having to store everything all the time. So when you have cities that are built for tremendous amounts of car traffic, can you now re-engineer those cities in the future to, to make them more friendly? Because I know if you could start with the whiteboard, you could create a much better city now, but what do you do about all these cities we've already built once, once we but fix what, what, Can you Tell me a city that was built for car traffic. I mean, and that's part of the point. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because they they weren't, and then all of a sudden there was. And right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I so I, I there's a, a number of cities in uh, I think in in China. Let, let's just point there, and there's certain um, developers that that are not they're not building a new building, a new office complex, or a new whatever without working with the, the transit authorities to get a, a, a public transit system worked out around that thing. So. Mm -hmm. um, you know, especially in Europe, like those cities were not built for the for the the delivery traffic that they have now. So you're seeing these electric bikes, you're seeing DHL like build its own um, vehicles, and they don't look like vans or, or necessarily what we would see here in the United States, a UPS van. But um, there's a lot of innovation happening around that. So, I, I, you know, <laughs> what was the statistic in Houston? It's like seven parking spots for every car in Houston or something like so crazy. So if you, if you look at um, how is like, how, what can you do with that space? Yes, if you, exactly. If, if everyone doesn't own a vehicle, if you have the right services and if, and they don't have to be public necessarily, they could be a combination of public and private. And that's why you have Denver and some other places like building these hubs where yeah. they, they can kind of, these services can kind of build out of them. So you know, I, I'm really, tr I feel like that is an area to, like, I, I, me personally, I've got to watch it really closely. And, you mm. know, fortunately, there are some smart cities trying to get ahead of it. And be because there isn't really, and nor should there really necessarily be um, federal interference with that. It's going to be a very regional, um, I actually worry about New Jersey. Here I am in New Jersey. <laughs> And we're not even part of this Northeast um, Transportation Alliance that started. Like there's a, there's a whole like seven or eight states that are focused on building a better transit system here. I don't remember if Pennsylvania's in there actually, Larry. <laughs> um, Pennsylvania's uh, pretty damn big, so. Well, but no, but I, I don't even think it's necessarily, uh, I think New Jersey's not in it because of, um, I'll just say uh, politics. I mean, I, oh. I believe we're not in it because of that. And I just don't remember if Pennsylvania's in it right now. But um, anyway, so I, I feel like you're going to see leadership on that level. And, and mm. people got to start talking to each other. I mean, mm. New Jersey really did itself a disservice. Um, and I can say this because I live here. When it pulled out of this, this transportation plan, I mean, it's just dumb to not be part of that discussion. Um, Heather, are you uh, writing, have you researched Hyperloop? Hyperloop 1? You know, I actually really, it, 
this transportation fee is a little bit new for me, honestly. And I've really, to this date, focused on the, the vehicles and in, in, in like the, um, the road vehicles, not the rail vehicles so much. Um, actually, next year, some of the things I'm looking at are rail and shipping, um, like the, the future of shipping. Again, not really a tech, information technology thing, but, um, but no, and that's something I need to look into more. Hyperloop, yeah. Paula, well, don't forget also about Elon's other projects, the tunnel. The, the tunnel. Boring the tunnels. The boring companies. Exactly. And, and, boring. It's and boring. The and the personal rocket transportation. <laughs> so, talk about transforming cities. Talk about a guy who just has toys and big ideas. I mean, it's just like, damn. Well, that's what it is. Is, is. is Elon Musk really the new Steve Jobs? Edison. I don't know. He's yeah, yeah, I think he's above Steve Jobs. He's he's above he, Steve Jobs. When all it's right. all Steve said, Jobs, marketing artist meets engineering. Elon Musk is sort of let's do really, really like you know. crazy things. All right, Bob, yeah. Bob, Bob, Elon Musk is Elon Musk the new Steve Jobs? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. No, I think he's the new Edison. I think he's the new Tesla. Yeah. It's more I mean, literally, no pun intended. I mean. The when you look Tesla. at all the successful autonomous uh, rocket landings and you see the what he's doing in the car industry and then the boring company and the solar panels on your roofs and going to Mars. And I, I mean, I, I don't know anybody that thinks as big as he does um, in, the, right. in the tech world. John yeah. Reed, is Elon Musk the new Steve Jobs? Well, it's going to suck when, when we need his help and he's living on Mars in a bunker. <laughs> <laughs> but with his, mining, with his mining thing for transportation. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was most intrigued when he started getting involved in Puerto Rico. And I, and I, I didn't follow how far that went. But, but, but I think, to me, oh. when you connect like a more serious case of social responsibility with some of his ideas, it starts to get very interesting. It's like, wait, your whole power grid went down? Well, why don't we take this opportunity to rethink yeah. The, the power grid in general. Um, right. That type of stuff, I think, is really interesting. I don't get as excited about, oh, um, I need a personal rocket ship and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and, and I think sometimes sometimes he can create misdirection by, by doing so much different stuff and then adding on top of it this sort of AI kind of doom and gloom, which kind of clashes against a lot of his more optimistic ideas. Um, but it's certainly an in he's certainly an interesting fellow. I don't know if I would call him the next Steve Jobs. All right, Heather, Heather, Elon Musk, is he the next Steve Jobs? No, I, I, don't, I don't put them in the same universe either. I, I, I feel like I totally agree with Larry on this. It's Steve Jobs, and believe me, I, when I was in, in the Valley watching these announcements, I used to sit in the audience and be like, <laughs> I, I mean, it just it was really hard. I mean, when you, he's, the guy was just amazing. He's mesmerizing. Um, Elon Musk, I, what I, I, and I love this, the, the social link you're pointing to, um, it's a totally, a totally different, totally different game, totally different class of, of um, we're, I mean, and again, um, the ideas are more like Edison. I agree with Vala there. He's I mean, solving hard problems. He's also just, he's just putting ideas out there. I mean, and I feel like if, if the boring thing, whatever, if it doesn't work, it's going to create something that does work. And, and the other things, and if, if his Tesla truck bombs, it's going to still create a lot of innovation in the battery space. I mean, I, I, I that's can, why. You can store 100 747s in the Gigafactory. Something big is going to come out of that. Trust me. You know, and I don't know if he pulled off Puerto Rico either, but he did, he did pull off Australia. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I, I, I don't put them in the same. Ray, your thoughts. What's your answer? <laughs> I think, I think it is. Um, what Elon's doing is, is, is very different. Uh, Steve was doing it at a consumer scale, right? He was doing it for consumers and experience and, and brands. I think what Elon's doing is uh, applying that same kind of approach to uh, world problems. And, and those, are, those are different kind of problems. And so it, it's a scale issue. And, and I think that's, that's part of the fun. But, but I think he's also the greatest huckster known to mankind. <laughs> so, yeah. I, you, know, you know, Steve Bezos, Jeff Bezos, Steve Bezos, Jeff Bezos <laughs> is, I think, you know, the money that he's going to throw at some problems is worth watching too. I mean, it is. don't forget who the rocket man is, the, the rocket man's competition is. <laughs> so there's some good competition in that space. All right. Well, hey, looking into 2018, what do you guys think? 2018, looking in 2018, what do you think will be the headline when we can meet again next year here on Disrupt TV? So, 
I know the headline I'd like to see. And that's where we all realize what a time suck Facebook is. And engagement <laughs> falls 70% because we all just go, you know what? We're the product and we're effing done. And everyone walks. <laughs> People quit Facebook, says Larry. The impact, the impact on your mood, the sheer just gibberish. Health outcomes go up 20%. Depression's down. So less you, you said, you said Marriages are the, up. The, the biggest psychological <laughs> experiment of all time. Is it's that too much freaking noise. And at some point, for your own well-being, ADD goes down. <laughs> Kids' test scores, standardized test scores go up in schools. I'm just, yeah. I mean, they, Facebook talks about social good and stuff, but I really think at some point you're going to have to see engagement fall. I don't know if that's 2018, but I I do feel like anecdotally, sorry, right. more and more people I talk to who just realize what a time suck that thing is. Now there there are hedges like. Facebook proper, I just don't give a shit about anymore. Messenger, that's useful. Best thing they've done, separate that out as a, its own app. Instagram, that's like my you know private social network where it actually functions like it's supposed to. That's fine. But do I want to hear you ranting about politics every third every third minute? I don't care. I don't care what you think. I just don't. I care even less than I do about your damn kid in the honor society. <laughs> I just, I'm done with it. But Larry, Larry, how, how, can we, how can we make political change if we can't sign petitions on Facebook? <laughs> right. I'm really, really confused. Come on, it's let's, just a click away. Well, that, that's the funny part about net neutrality, right? We're all like, oh my God, I'm going to vote against this, blah, 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 blah. A, there's nothing to vote on. And then B, you're, you're going to, like, if, let's just say your binge watching is really screwed up by network neutrality. Dude, you sit on the couch 10 hours a day watching TV. Am I really going to think you're going to go out and vote something down? No, you're going to sit on your ass just like you were before. You find but I'm else. also, while I'm watching TV, I'm also on Facebook taking bold stances by liking people's opinions. Right. So, <laughs> so I, I feel like wow. I'm definitely... Wow, this, 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 this segment's turned into a... Uh, uh, wow, for those of you who have Facebook stock, we apologize, but... Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I'm I'm a band. I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. You, you first, Heather. I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You go first. No, no, no. You, you go. <laughs> I, was gonna, say. I was going to say, I, 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 for, I, I was going to add Twitter into uh, Larry's comment oh. because I, I just, like, I, I noticed the other day, I mean, just how much less, and you know, I'm supposed to be there for my job. I, I just got to say, I, I, like for my own mental well-being i just got to stay away sometimes it's just it, you know i i agree with larry because everyone's just so sick of the negativity you know it's like come on people just like talk to each other and like you go live a life what, what happens when only marketing people and celebrities are on twitter <laughs> and no one else is still on <laughs> Conversation is going to be really strange. There's going to be a lot of retweeting, though. There's actually no conversation. That's the all. only thing, and, I, and I'll add one thing. <laughs> That's why it doesn't affect me that much. <laughs> I'll add one thing onto the Facebook thing um, that, that you didn't mention, Larry. As I feel like it's a great um, uh, scheduling thing, like organizing with your real friends and so forth. So I use a lot for... Um, you know, I mean, could take over like Evite or something like that. I mean, like the, the, the events and the, the organization of your life aspect of it, that's interesting to me. And like, how, how does that marry with your work calendar and so forth? Um, uh, see, I, I have a team snap for that. Right. It just, you know, my, my whole life revolves around soccer, basketball, and, <laughs> and right. I'm running and running. So, you know, as far as stuff I do, it's like, yeah, yeah, there's a soccer game. So, right, well, John, what is my, yeah, Joe, John, go ahead. I'm going to. John, what are, your, what are your enterprise predictions for 2018? If we come back here next year and then we'll get to yours, Heather, on uh, what's happening in the world of green tech. Well, I got a really good one in my inbox that I can't take credit for myself, but um, connected mannequins are going to conquer the U.S. market. <laughs> so we're going to have smart mannequins. <clears throat> um, but but I, think the, I think the biggest thing for the enterprise is that there's actually I hope this doesn't sound too boring, but companies are actually making some progress around what you might call like data driven organizations. So 
companies in a variety of industries are starting to figure out how to use data to actually in real time assess yeah. what's going on. Yeah. And, and, and I think we're starting to see a lot of business case development around that, which, which is really important because for about 20, 30 years in the enterprise, we've been talking about the intelligent enterprise, but it's really just been transactional systems and horrible reporting. And we're starting to see some changes there that I think are going to be interesting to see, you know, what, what happens as companies figure out how to use some of this tech a little better. The one thing that we're not getting enough of yet, is, and I'm not sure we're going to have it next year, is that sort of role of predictive where, where our machine's going to start sort of saying, hey, you know, you need you needed more inventory in this store, so I put it there for you. I anticipated that need. Are we going to start seeing that? I'm not sure we're quite there yet with that. Um, so the problem with all this tech is that we still have to, people still have to use it. And so increasingly we're seeing a spotlight on people and culture because the tech's getting pretty good now. Um, so it brings us back to, well, what's the problem? And it's usually us. Wow. Heather, you're in real quick. So my uh, quick, real quick thing is, um, energy related technologies in the, in the corporate world. So, um, somewhat dependent on what happens with the tax bill finally and and some of the incentives are really bad for the renewable um, investments right now however um, there's a lot of organizations that have committed to re reducing their carbon emissions and you're going to see a heightened focus on thermal technologies especially in factories and so forth so combined heat and power technologies um, on-site um, investments as well and in, in not necessarily wind and solar but other other things of biomass and and so forth um, and also like crazy things like the Amazon, um, what Amazon is doing in Reuse Seattle with the reusing the heat. You've got mm -hmm. a, a building in Frankfurt, Germany that's doing the same thing. It's a 31 foot, 31 story uh, uh, mixed use skyscraper and the data center in there is supplying heat for some of the uh, offices and a part of the hotel. So I think you're going to just see like very practical, like not so sexy, <laughs> um, but energy, energy, a lot of innovation, energy. All right, well, real quick, I'm going to do lightning round. I'm going to include you, Vala, next year, 2018, Vala. Tech for good, yes or no? Tech for good, yes, we need to. <laughs> John, tech for good, yes or no? Maybe. Tech for good, Larry? No. Tech for good, Heather? Trying. Trying. All right, 2018, will the robots take over the world or will we still have humanity? John? Robots. Robots. Vala? Mannequins. Mannequins. <laughs> Larry? <laughs> Robots 2019. Robots 2019, Heather? Female programmers. Female yes. programmers. There you go. All right. But last question. Hey, in, 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 in 2018, in 2018, do you think do you think the world would be a better place or a worse place? John? We have to make it better, Ray. We have to make it better. All right. If, 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 we, if we all commit today, we can make it better. All right. The, optim the optimists do more. So, yeah, it will be better. Larry? Well, contrary to public <laughs> opinion, I'm probably an optimist. So, <laughs> sort of. Um, I'll say better. Better? All right, yeah. Heather. Is there an election next year? No, sorry. <laughs> Heather? I said better. Better? Okay, so it's going to be better. All right, cool. No, hey, I, I want to thank you guys. Wait, I mean, let me ask Alexa this question also. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> My Alexa's totally... Oh, Alexa says I'm not sure. <laughs> Alexa's consulting with Siri in the back corner again. <laughs> so, well, hey, no, this has been great. And, and I want to say thank you for yes. uh, the year-end recap. Um, I also want to thank Aubrey, our producer. She's the hey, I mean, 201 guests uh our second year in season we're going to come back next year with some great stuff but uh heather larry john um thank you so much i'm all going to wrap up in a little bit but uh thanks for being on here doing the year end recap and happy holidays to everybody so thanks Anytime. for the invite thank you everyone happy holidays bye-bye so vala where do we go from here man 2018 ahead of us new platform crazy stuff we're going to be covering folks in a different way what are some yeah. of your closing thoughts vala well, it's, it's folks like John and Heather and Larry that help, help uh, us, you know, learn. I know the way you and I stay teachable is to, uh, you know, talk to really smart people every Friday. And uh, it's my favorite time of the week, for sure. I think we could have this conversation literally uh, weekly, biweekly, monthly, and our audience would love it. Uh, lots of, lots of wisdom 
in today's show. We are using Zoom as the new platform moving forward. So again, this is our third platform in two years. So we like to disrupt ourselves if we think uh, it's, it's for the better. Uh, 201 unique guests. We have a number of CEOs, venture capitalists, and uh, yeah, sales of fortune, 500 companies that are scheduled for next year. Um, so it's going to be um, um, an incredible roster that I think we'll provide a preview in the next 10 days or so. So you have a sense of who we have joining us in 2018. Every Friday is 2 to 3 uh, Eastern, 11 to 12 Pacific. And uh, thank you very much for watching. Hey, thanks everyone. Happy holidays. And uh, if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV show. We'll see you back in January. Thank mm -hmm. you.